0: Hello, I'm with Janina Fisher. Hi, Janina. Hello. So, how
1: did you get
0: to do what you're doing?
1: Well, I got to do what I'm doing, which is uh, to teach and practice sensory motor psychotherapy and to travel at this point around the world uh, teaching about trauma treatment and the body. Um, I got to it in a completely uh, uh, almost ridiculous way uh, because my interest in trauma, which goes back 20 years, uh, has led me to study a number of modalities uh, to try to find the thing that would help survivors of trauma, and so I came to take the sensory motor psychotherapy training as a purely left brain decision, uh, I'm just gonna learn a new technique and this will fill in some of the holes. And it never occurred to me that if you're going to practice body-centered techniques, you have to become body-centered mm-hmm. and you have to become a body psychotherapist so that it flows naturally And effortlessly and the client really feels a sense that the body is a comfortable, familiar place. Since we know many trauma survivors don't have that level of comfort with their bodies.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah. So
1: I kind of got here by accident. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, (laughs) but it's a very, very good place to be and it's very, very exciting. To see the reception that sensory motor psychotherapy is getting um, literally around the world um, and to and to also see the credibility that body psychotherapy is getting in the mainstream mental health world because that's where I come from. I come from the psychodynamic psychotherapy world where we don't do body. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, and so my audiences are largely traditional uh, talking psychotherapists, and to see them get so excited about the possibilities when you add the body to the talking therapy um, has just been wonderful. I, I just came back from Australia, from doing workshops in three different cities to hundreds of therapists. Um, who were so excited mm-hmm. and uh, and eager to start to explore all the possibilities that we have when we bring the body into the picture.
0: Great, great yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> So among the people who are going to be listening to this conversation, some are very familiar with sensory motor psychotherapy, and some are much less so. So for people who are not, do you want to say a little bit about, uh, you know, how to define this approach and maybe uh, not just in contrast to talk therapy but also in contrast to other body psychotherapies?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, Obviously, sensory motor psychotherapy owes uh, a debt to the body psychotherapy world where Pat Ogden, who uh, developed sensory motor psychotherapy, was a Hakomi trainer and practitioner for 20, 25 years before she developed sensory motor psychotherapy. So it's deeply rooted in the Hakomi tradition. And to that, what she added and what I have helped To also add, as I've become um, a collaborator with Pat, is um, we're incorporating um, a lot of traditional psychotherapy, talking therapy techniques and concepts. We're integrating all of it with the neuroscience research on trauma so that our interventions tend to be Slower and paced uh, in a particular way that is sensitive to the effects of trauma on the body. Uh-huh. So we we move uh, in smaller steps. Many of my students are Hakomi trained, and and what they notice as the primary difference is how much slower sensory motor goes and how careful uh attention we pay to avoiding the clients getting overwhelmed and um and reactivated mhm mhm because what we believe is that in order to heal trauma one has to be able to experience and transform what happens in the body uh, in response to trauma, stimuli, memories, images, triggers. And, but you can't transform it if you're reliving it. Yeah. So our, our focus is on helping people to avoid reliving, reliving it in favor of transforming it.
0: Yeah, so in other way, uh, there's two very important considerations. One is that uh, we're dealing with the effects of the trauma in the body, and two, uh, we're really paying attention to not reactivating it uh, because you cannot, you know, heal it from a place where it's reactivated.
1: Exactly. And because when we reactivate traumatic memories, body memories, emotional memories, autonomic memories, muscle memories, um, if we reactivate them inadvertently and the nervous system goes into an emergency response, the frontal lobes go offline and the client has no ability to witness that these are body sensations and memories and feelings. Uh, and past and present start to blur and we're actually when that happens we're actually reinforcing trauma responses instead of changing them which is of course what we all want to do
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm yeah so that uh, frontal lobe awareness consciousness has to be present for transformation to be possible
1: right and I think to some extent excuse me that that um, that awareness that inner awareness awareness of sensation is a feature of most if not all of the body psychotherapies in sensory motor we pay even more conscious attention to keeping the client aware and mindful um, during the course of a session, Mm -hmm. which can be challenging, um, but we feel it's a really, really important piece.
0: Yeah. yeah. So maybe, would it make sense at this point to give a flavor of some of the stuff that happens in a session?
1: Sure, sure, Um, absolutely. Um, and let me see if I can think of a couple of contrasting examples.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so um, one of the things that um, that uh, we use sensory motor psychotherapy for a great deal is to help people to disidentify with their trauma responses so uh, here is an example this is a client who suffers from uh, lots of panic symptoms um, which often lead to shutting herself uh, in the house for days and days and days uh, she experiences being afraid to open the door if people uh, come to the door and, and so in a recent session, what we did was to have her notice what happened in her body as she imagined, uh, people coming to her door.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: noticing the impulse to duck down so they couldn't see her, uh, and to, uh, sort of, uh, run or scurry into the next room and shut the door and um and to notice all of that as just body sensation and movement impulses rather than giving into them quote unquote mm-hmm. which is what she normally does and here's a 57-year-old woman with a master's degree in teaching who Hear somebody knock on the door and uh, and she drops to the floor and crawls out of the room uh, feeling very, very crazy. So for her to be able to notice these sensations and impulses as body memory, as just sensations which she can notice rather than obey um, helps her to begin to transform this pattern in which something triggers her anxiety and then her body goes into very old survival responses.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what we're talking about is uh, noticing the sensations as opposed to uh, the interpretations or, you know, some other level of it, and noticing them, not obeying them, just... uh right.
1: So really changing the relationship to the symptoms and as you say, the interpretation of them. Because if the interpretation is it's not safe, that calls for different actions than if the observation is, uh, my heart is, is beating very, very quickly and I'm getting lots of agitation in my legs. So that's one example, Um, and... uh, So maybe just
0: on this example, the other part is... um, So, you know, what you're showing very clearly is the paying attention to the sensation. But what is happening to help the patient not get reactivated uh, into the trauma?
1: Well, what happens is, and this is an, uh, an amazing phenomenon very, very exciting for all of us to know about. The neuroscience research tells us that trauma cues, trauma-related cues, activate a part of the brain called the amygdala, which is the brain's smoke detector and fire alarm. And when the amygdala starts to fire, we have an adrenaline response and uh we start to go into fight and flight responses.
2: Mhm.
1: Or we freeze like a deer in the headlights, or we collapse into a sort of numb, floppy submission state. And um and so one of the things that the researchers noticed is that when the amygdala fires and as it were sounds the alarm, the frontal lobes go offline. Mhm. And and uh and so the they then noticed that if the frontal lobes were helped to stay online, the amygdala didn't fire at will. Right? They that the client was a subject research subject could have more control over the activation of the amygdala simply by activating the frontal lobes and there have been since many studies of meditators the great subject these days for brain scan research is to is to research um, Buddhist monks and when the monks meditate, Lo and behold, their frontal lobes uh, get very active, actually sort of the third eye, believe it or not, gets mm. very active, the medial prefrontal cortex, and the amygdala decreases activity. So we have this wonderful opportunity just by helping people to mindfully observe their experience to tell the body, the part of the body that says it's not safe, it's not safe, we can tell that part of the body right here, right now it is safe Mm -hmm. simply by helping people to activate their, their frontal lobes, to refrain from interpreting their sensations, thoughts, and feelings and to instead notice them.
0: Right. So in a way, that very mindful attention to uh, sensation functions at two levels. One is this, noticing the sensation itself, and two is keeping the medial prefrontal cortex engaged and therefore uh, prevent the amygdala from firing so heavily.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So in terms of a technique, what is it that you do with the Patient uh, to keep them engaged. Is that simply to say, pay attention to the sensation? Did you do something else to uh, to regulate?
1: Well, it's. I'm so glad you asked that question because it's often, um, and I'm sure this is true for other body psychotherapy modalities, that it's often difficult to help clients to shift out of the pattern of using therapy as a place to vent
2: mm-hmm.
1: or to tell uh stories. And so the probably the biggest challenge I find is is less getting people into their bodies um, and it's more helping them to be mindful. And and as you know, if if my client is connecting to the body and noticing what the body wants to do and then has a story to tell about that. Well, I remember when I was five, I was always hiding in closets. We lose, the body often um, uh, loses the connection to what it wanted to do. So helping people to actually stay with this process of witnessing is very challenging. And I have a number of ways of doing it. I often will teach people about the medial prefrontal cortex and the amygdala and uh, sort of uh, do a little marketing that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the left brain approach. Um, and, and sometimes I have to keep saying to them, let's Let's not draw conclusions or ask why. let's just notice
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um oftentimes, I find it helps if I can bring movement into the picture because it's less likely that my client will think of some interesting story if we're focusing on a gesture.
0: Mm-hmm. So a gesture, that uh, what kind of gesture?
1: It's funny because even as I said that, talk about body memory, so as I said that, uh, my hand mm-hmm. came out in a uh, my right arm and hand came up in a gesture as if I was pushing something away to the right
2: mm-hmm.
1: of me and which then reminded me of a session that I did with a a patient of mine a few weeks ago, actually the father in a family that I work with. And, uh, and this is a man who is incredibly burdened. He's the family workhorse. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he carries that with him into the room. He comes into the room and his shoulders are slumped and, uh, and he, complains of feeling exhausted and burdened and uh, ill-used by the rest of the family. Mm. And at this particular session, he's spontaneous, as he's in his slumped posture and his voice is kind of slow and heavy, um, he suddenly sat up a little straighter and he said, I just want to tell all of them to go away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he made that gesture that my body just made spontaneously. <laughs> His right arm came out in this kind of pushing away gesture. And uh, and I said, well, so notice what happens when you make that movement and you say those words, go away. Um, and uh, And in sensory motor, if something works, we keep repeating it because we want to deepen the muscle memory for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so <laughs> he, he did it and, uh, and his face lit up and he sat a little straighter and I invited him to, uh, notice what happened, uh, if he made that gesture again and said those words and, uh, and each time he repeated it, there was more uh, authority and smoothness in his movement, and um, and sort of more he he was more centered, his spine was aligned, and uh, and he was obviously having a great time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, um, as often will happen, um, he then ha- thought of his wife, who's a very very needy and demanding person. And he said, uh, now I'm noticing some sadness coming up. And, um, and the collapse, and he started to go into the collapse again. Um, and I helped him to move out of it by again, um, making that, that movement. But the sadness kept coming up, uh, related to this image of his wife. Uh, being, being unhappy with him. And, uh, in sensory motor, one of the things that we, techniques we use a great deal is what we call a mindful experiment. And again, these are techniques used by many body psychotherapies. Uh, we try to add an extra level of mindful consciousness. Mm-hmm. So, I asked him, if he'd be willing, which is the language of an experiment, would he be willing to notice what happened if he put a hand over the place in his body where he was feeling the sadness? Which was kind of between his chest and his heart. And, uh, and, and he began to feel warmth and comfort coming from the sensation of his hand uh, on his chest and then as uh, then we did a little role-playing and I role-played his wife saying but I need you to help me uh, and he could feel the fear and sadness coming up and then he would make that pushing away gesture while holding a hand over his heart just practicing being able to stay connected to himself and almost make a boundary with his hand Mm -hmm. right so that one of the other things that we believe is that psychotherapy sessions need to be focused on practicing and um new responses and we have a something we say often to clients we say It took many, many, many years and many repetitions for the old patterns to develop in your body, and it will take many, many repetitions to build new patterns. So would you be willing to practice these movements in the weeks ahead? Yeah. And probably not surprisingly to this audience, um, those clients who are willing to practice the movements even if they think i'm a little nuts Mm -hmm. right well you know how's it going to help me with my husband if i'm making this gesture all the time uh and and uh i this is a sensory motor way of thinking i say just notice what happens we don't know if it will help we um and that's why we're running this experiment so just do your practicing notice what happens and and uh and lo and behold those people who practice the movements uh tend to make more progress
0: mhm which
1: again makes perfect sense doesn't
0: it it makes perfect sense yes we're talking about yeah. that training effect the brain the learning capacity yeah
1: mhm right and um one of the things that we believe is that um physiological functions support psychological functions Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: so and so as people develop and practice these new physical patterns that their psychological functioning is going to um, is also going to change Um, and again these are I think concepts that are very much a part of the body psychotherapy world Mm
0: hmm Totally, totally. But that's uh, that's very nicely that's very nicely integrated there. And uh, what I'm noticing also in the example you chose of the um, husband with the workhorse husband with the needy wife, is that we're not talking about a field of application, a scope of sensory motor that is devoted to trauma, say, as DSM would define it, but a much broader sense, a much broader range of, um, of situations, including Absolutely. developmental situations.
1: Absolutely. And for this husband, it's actually, um, for husband and wife, these are developmental and traumatic Patterns. and um, and he survived as a child in a very abusive family by being the workhorse older sibling
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, being the parentified child who took care of his younger siblings and soothed his mother and did damage control with his abusive father. And uh, his wife was the youngest in an abusive family. And survived by being little and needy. So, so I think they, they're both, they're developmental, I suppose we could say they're developmental patterns that are, uh, um, reinforced by the traumatic context in which they came about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's often much harder for people to change developmental patterns that are connected to traumatic environments because when they start to change those patterns, uh, their bodies resist. They get fear. It's funny, I just did a phone consultation to uh, a colleague in California this morning, um, and she was talking about a client who just, who shut down in the uh, context of a crisis in her relationship?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And the therapist was saying, "I don't get it. I don't get it." She shut down just when she should be having feelings. Um, and uh, and I said, "Well, her body is telling us that when the shit hit the fan, her body learned to disconnect from the feelings as a way to survive." Uh-huh. Uh, and because uh, we all know that compliant children don't generally get hurt as badly as uh, as children who are more argumentative or um, angry
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then there's a body memory of how to act in a way that is safe And it's going to be very hard to change that pattern
1: exactly and for for any therapist, and I know that I experience this, and I'm sure many of our listeners do, where clients make progress, and instead of feeling good about it or building on it, uh, they regress, they go into crisis, uh, they're um, actually not comfortable with our being pleased about their progress, and we believe that those responses to pleasurable experiences, to progress, to feeling good in the body, that those negative reactions are body memory telling them it's not safe to feel good. Or sometimes it's not safe to feel your body at all. Mhm. hmm Right?
0: Yeah. So that's very much integrated in the roadmap of dealing with the healing the trauma. Exactly,
1: yeah. So, uh,
0: you know, what about the concept that, say, uh, trauma is stored in the body and can be discharged through the body so there's no more of it?
1: Well, you know, we see that's a, um, it it would be wonderful if that were true. (laughs) 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 I think that's the best way to say it. You know the whole discharge theory, um, or what I call the sort of hydraulic theory, um, it's very appealing. Why can I just discharge it and be done with it?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But we have a slightly different take on that. Um, what we believe is that these patterns have to be completed. The responses have to be completed. Rather than discharged,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. that the reason that they keep repeating, right, and why um, often clients have the experience of a really very wonderful uh, experience of discharge at a therapy in a therapy session, followed by the next day feeling just as depressed, just as anxious. Um, just as overwhelmed Um, is because discharge alone doesn't change these patterns Mm -hmm. so in 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 sensory motor psychotherapy and as in somatic experiencing um, the belief is that that these traumatic reactions get frozen or truncated because it isn't safe to act, and it isn't safe to discharge. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, In
1: fact, I had a personal experience of this about five years ago. I fell down a flight of stairs and broke my wrist, and I had just had a conversation with Pat Ogden a few weeks before about doing sensory motor on oneself. And so as I'm lying at the bottom of this stairwell, (laughs) <laughs> with my broken wrist, I decided I would track my body. I thought, oh, this is a good time to do a little sensory motor on myself. <laughs> and uh, my colleagues were saying, don't move, don't move. We're getting the ambulance. We don't know what else could be broken. And so I started to track what happened. And and first, um, I noticed that there was a lot of shaking and trembling in my body and then as that uh, kind of went through and completed, uh, I started to feel freezing cold, uh, and I just kept tracking that, and then that kind of moved through. Uh, and then uh, I'd have more shaking or some moaning, and then that would kind of discharge, and I'd get another round of shivering. Well, this went on for an hour and a half. And I, I was actually still tracking in the emergency room. And what I realized, it was a very uh, sobering, um, poignant realization that I have the skills to track my body for an hour and a half mm-hmm. and stay with myself. If I were a child growing up in a traumatic environment, I wouldn't have those skills. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have the luxury um, because I wouldn't. It wouldn't be safe to visibly tremble and shake and moan and shiver.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, traumatized children have to, uh, or their bodies of traumatized children have to learn how to inhibit fight responses, flight responses, anger, sadness. Um, shaking, trembling, moaning, right all of it. And so we believe that in the treatment, the client has to be able to complete that cycle that I was able to complete, whether it's a cycle of shaking and trembling until your body comes to a resting place that tells the body it's over. It's yeah, done. it's safe now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: or does completion come through um, um, creating a somatic sense of boundary, or does completion come through completing fight or flight responses?
2: hmm
1: So, so rather than discharge, we're looking for completion. Yeah. when we when we have people get in touch with their fight responses we don't have them uh, pound uh, things we have them very slowly and mindfully engage the pushing or kicking uh, impulse and to actually observe it uh, in action and feel it uh, rather than... Do activities that are more uh, discharge-related.
0: Right, right. So that's uh, it's really that sense of connecting very deeply with that impulse, uh, as opposed to uh, the acting out of the impulse.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now, sometimes that the impulse to act it out is so strong that that I may have to allow the the client to first act it out and then I asked now would you be willing to make those movements again and this time let's make them very slowly and mindfully mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if this is true of other body psychotherapies but in sensory motor psychotherapy generally the therapist also does what we ask the client to do Mm -hmm. so if if the client is making a pushing movement as if pushing someone away I would be mirroring that movement and noticing the sensations in my body and if necessary sharing those with the client if the client particularly doesn't have a language for for sensation Mm I might say, you know, I might say, yeah, I notice a lot of heat, uh, and I notice my stomach muscles engaging. Um, so it isn't just my arm. It's, it's really my whole body. Do you notice, uh, anything like that in your body? Um, so there's a, a lot of somatic collaboration that also, uh, I think is really appreciated by clients.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe as we're actually completing the cycle, uh, (laughs) is there anything that you would want to say to, uh, you know, that we haven't said or uh, that would be a conclusion to this short conversation?
1: Well, you know, one thing that I did uh, want to mention is that the um, the USABP conference in uh in northern california in october um, has very very kindly invited me to uh not only give a keynote address but also a workshop uh which will be an introduction to working uh with trauma uh through the body and i'm very very Excited to, uh, to be doing that and helping, because again, I, I've come from the traditional mental health world to the body psychotherapy world. And, uh, one of the goals of this year's conference is to keep building that bridge,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which brings more credibility to the body psychotherapy world, more acceptance as a, um, as a, very well thought out, well-founded psychotherapy approach, um, which I think really enriches all of us. Yeah. So that's, that's been what's most exciting to me is is this ability to build the bridge between what have been two very separate psychotherapy worlds
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and also, of course, to be able to help people with their trauma responses, when they have talked about them ad infinitum. My burdened husband has had ten years of traditional talking therapy in which he has talked incessantly about how burdened he feels without being able to shift it, mm-hmm. and we who work in the body have that really uh, exciting opportunity to help people shift these yeah. patterns.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.